was with uh, Dr. Brasfield uh, yesterday. Some of y'all will remember him. He was here about a year or so ago ministering. But he, he told the story about a little girl. She, she went to her mom and she asked her mom, how did we get here? And you, you have kids that ask those kind of questions? How many of you have inquisitive kids? Like that, how many of you had kids that asked you questions you couldn't answer? So asked her mom, how, how did we get here? So mom took her back to the Bible, took her to Genesis chapter 1 and explained creation and how God created Adam and Eve. And, and that, that's how we got here, the mom summarized. And uh, about an hour and a half later, the little girl came back and said, Mom, I asked Dad how we got here, and he said that it all started millions of years ago with a single cell, and they evolved to a tadpole and a frog, and then eventually a monkey, and eventually monkeys grew, and we, they became humans. And Mom said, well, I thought you were talking about my side of the family. I like that story. It has absolutely nothing to do with our message today, but I really like the story, so I thought I'd share it with you. So we're going to get back into the Philippians here, and we'll be moving a little bit faster than we have been. We, we got through the first two chapters. Let's see, this is what, the ninth month of the year? We started back in January. We will wrap this up by the end of the year, and we're going to talk about being conformed to his death, being conformed to the death of Jesus Christ today. We're in Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and we're, we're going to work through this. We're going to spend some time. I'm going to teach through a lot of scripture today here in Philippians and a lot of other verses, but we're going to teach through this passage. So more than reading it this morning, we're going to work through it. Finally, my brethren, rejoice. And that's, that, that rejoicing is a great theme through this book. What, I, I like memes. I love memes. It's like one of my favorite, finding a good meme, it just like, it'll you know, kind of make my day. One of my, one of my favorite memes of all time, it's two pictures of Joyce Myers. And it simply says, Joyce and rejoice. It's one of my favorite all-time memes. But rejoice. We, we've got to rejoice. There, there's also a theme in this book of suffering. There's some conflict in this church. And Paul encourages this church that, that's going to suffer, that's going to experience some conflict. He encourages them throughout the book to rejoice. We've got to rejoice. And that, that's, listen, joy is greater than happy. Yes. Having joy is, is greater than having happiness. Happiness is actually predicated on our circumstances. It's determined, you're, you're happy because you got a raise. You're happy because that, that guy that you have been, a, a, you know, fallen for for months asked you out on a date. That, that makes you happy. But joy... You have joy whether you, you get a raise or not. You got joy whether he notices you or not. You've got joy whether things are going your way or not. Joy doesn't fade. Joy doesn't change. Joy is anchored in Jesus. Real joy is anchored in Jesus, right? It's, it's, hope, it's anchored in an eternal hope. And so joy doesn't change. Joy is good, amen? And I wanna encourage you, next, next time everything just starts to fall apart, find a good reason to laugh. Find a good reason to take joy. Amen? Joy is, the Bible says, it, 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 it makes our hearts merry, and it's like a medicine. And it literally, science literally proves that. You know that when you laugh, that dopamines are released in your body? It makes you feel good. Right? It does. 
and joy. You, you can have this excitement and celebration and hope in the midst of despair if you'll learn to joy in Jesus. And that's what he says. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Jesus. You got laid off, rejoice in Jesus. Right? The car broke down, rejoice in Jesus. Things aren't going your way. Rejoice in Jesus. We have an eternal hope. Amen? And we're going through some challenges at our house. We got a negative report about my father-in-law here in the last month or so. And what, what has given us joy is eternal hope, right? And we've been anchored. We, we kind of hung our hat on two things. Number one, we have the, through the cross, we have the promise of healing, Amen. right? And we're believing God for healing in my father-in-law. And then through the cross, we have the, the promise of eternal life, Amen. right? So those circumstances aren't what we want them to be. We're finding joy in it. My wife, I'm, I'm amazed to, to see strength, I know, I know what my, my father-in-law means to my wife, but there's strength in her because she's anchoring to Jesus. It gives us hope. It gives us joy. So rejoice in the Lord. For, for me to write the things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Verse 2, he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilations. Uh, and and I've, I've, I've heard a lot of scriptures about this. I, uh, I heard a preacher preach a scripture called, watch them dogs. And he was a very animated preacher. And he went through every breed of dog that you can imagine, from, from chihuahuas to pit bulls. And he, he compared them to different false teachers. Every dog, he linked one dog to a different variety, different flavor of false teachers. But the reality, we, we know specifically what Paul's talking about. The, he's talking about mulators. He's talking about people who are trying to get, convince people that they're not saved without circumcision. They're not saved with, without all these other things. And, and, and Paul's saying, hey, hold on, our, our salvation is anchored in Jesus. That, 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 so the dogs that we're watching for are those that would try to drag them back and, and find their righteousness through the law. And it, it's, it's very clear, it, it, he read, it, it'll read out here as we go. He says, for we are, we are the circumcision, in verse 3. And he gives three things. Number one, who worship God in the spirit. Number two, who rejoice in Jesus. And number three, who have no confidence in the flesh. How many of you have confidence in your flesh? I did have at one point. I still do at times. Right? When we get in our, in our pride and arrogance, we, we get confident. We start feeling ourselves, right? And then what happens? We get humbled. We have no confidence in the flesh. Though I, might, that, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And, and real, I mean, in reality, if Paul says I can't have confidence in, in my flesh, None of us have a leg to stand on because he's about to give his, his, his pedigree right here and none of us come close, right? He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. So in other words, like he was practicing the law. He was stringently, ardently striving for law. In fact, adding more things to the law to be more righteous. 
That's what the Pharisees did. You know, the Pharisees didn't actually start out with bad motives. The, the, Pharisee, uh, the, the movement of the Pharisees started because of the, Grecian, the Greek, Greek culture that was coming in, into Israel, influencing Israel, and they wanted to keep their, their pure Hebrew culture. And so they began to strive for the law and add things to the law to try to preserve their culture. And they got away from serving God to serving their culture. That's what happened with the Pharisees. He says, I was a Pharisee. Paul, Paul was brilliant. He was brilliant. He, he knew the law of God. He knew the, the Torah. He studied. In fact, one of the, the, the greatest teachers of his day, Gamaliel, was his teacher. He, the Bible says he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. And this is where that righteousness that, that he was hoping in put him persecuting the, the church of Jesus Christ, opposing God. That's what self-righteousness, ultimately, that's what self-righteousness does to us. When we put confidence in our flesh, in our ability to be perfect, it will actually bring us, ultimately, when we continue to, in pride, put confidence in ourselves, put confidence in our flesh, it will bring us to a point where we end up in opposition to God. Amen. That's where Paul's at. Concerning Zoe, he began to persecute the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Anybody in here that could say, I have a pedigree like that? I'm a, I'm a Benjamite, Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisee, circumcised on the eighth day. Anybody that says, I meet all, none of us. If Paul's saying here, I don't have a leg to stand on, none of us have a leg to stand on. And Paul says in verse 7, what these uh, things were uh, gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Paul lost a lot for the sake of Christ. He had social standing. He had recognition in, in, as a Pharisee. And he gave all that up. And they would, they would, the, the people that loved him, the people that admired him would pursue him and try to kill him. They did. They tried to stone him. They, 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 they wanted this man dead. He gave up a lot for Christ. He did. Verse 8, he says, Yet indeed, I, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what he was, why he was willing, willing to give it up, for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, it, it took an act of God to get, get Paul to yield and to surrender. Jesus himself had to appear to him. We know, we know the story, right? Paul, on the Damascus Road, Jesus appears to him, arrests him, blinds him, right? That's what it took. But once his eyes were opened to, to understand the reality, the truth, that, hey, Jesus was the Messiah that they were hoping for. Jesus is the Lord. Once he came to that understanding, he, gave every, he forsook all to follow Christ, right? Verse 8 says, yes, indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I just want to say this, that, that's really ultimately what it is all about. Knowing Jesus. That's what it's about. I go back to the adage that I, I learned from David Cook. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to behold Jesus, to become like him, and to beam forth his light. In reality, for those of us who say that is the essence of what life is all about, 
If we want to be satisfied, if, if we want to find fulfillment in life, if we will strive to know Jesus, to become like him, and to make him known, we will ultimately be fulfilled and satisfied in life. There's nothing in this world that gives us more satisfaction than knowing Jesus, being like Jesus, making him known in this earth. That, that's the reason that we are here. That's the reason that Jesus has established his church. That's the reason that when, when we come to an altar or, or, or kneel at our, our bedside and we come to faith in Christ, his spirit comes to live, live in us, that's the only reason he leaves us on planet earth. So that we can know him, become like him and make him known. That's why we exist on planet Earth. There, there, there's no other reason for our living now. Paul said, it's in Jesus that I live and move and have my existence. And when we, when we, we vacillate off of that, when we move away from that, we will be discontent. When we start striving for recognition, for fame, for money, for, for pleasure, for accolades, for anything that this world can give us, when we move off of the purpose that God has created us for, we will find agony, misery, sorrow. That's why Paul's saying here, I, I've given all of it up that I might have knowledge of Jesus, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And, Count them as rubbish. The word there, there's a lot of words in the English that we could use. We'll just settle on the word dung. Dung is the most appropriate word there. Amen. Everything, all of my accomplishments, my, the fact that I was a Hebrew, the, the fact that I was a Pharisee, all of these things, all of my accomplishments, a pile of dung. I count it as rubbish, worthless compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. He says, I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's good. If you like that, you're going to like the rest of this message. <laughs> Verse 10, that I may know him. There it is again, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. All right, so we're gonna unpack a few things here. Let's talk about self-righteousness. We've already said it, none of us compare to Paul. Like, probably the majority of us in this have never really even in, in detail studied the law, if we're honest. Like, we look, we look at Leviticus and like, ooh. That's, that's, that's boring. People think that way about Deuteronomy, Numbers, right? You'd rather, you'd rather read the Census Bureau report than Numbers, right? I mean, that's the way a lot of people look at it, and that, that's wrong. You know what I find? There, there is so much, the, the genealogies and the greetings, all of the details of Scripture, there's meat, there's life, there's sustenance there. We need to read the Word, all of it. That's the way most of us regard a lot of that stuff. I, some of us, it's intimidating. Like, I, I, I don't even know where to start. But Paul was studied in all this. Stall, Paul was pedigreed. Paul had accomplishments. Paul said, hey, according to the law, I'm blameless. 
And yet he says, my righteousness is nothing compared to the righteousness of Christ. That's Paul's statement. Israel tried to establish their own righteousness. Romans talks about it. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 10, verse 3. He says, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Think about that. You should just meditate on that scripture this week. Write down Romans 10.3. They were ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. The reality is none of us in this room can establish our own righteousness. None of us, no matter how hard we strive, because we are imperfect, we are sinful, we, we, we have all fallen short and missed the mark. The Bible teaches if we miss it in one point, we're guilty of all of it. None of us can keep this law perfectly in and of our own selves. None of us can be righteous in in and of our own selves. Galatians chapter 3 verse 11 says that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Romans 3, 20 Beginning of verse 20, we're going to read through 22. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. Romans 8 Romans is a great, we, we, I, I would encourage you, get, get familiar with Romans. And it, and it can, I, I feel, theologically, there's a lot in there. It can be intimidating, but I just encourage you, get in there and take bite-sized chunks of it and meditate on it and come to understand this book. Romans is beautiful. Romans chapter eight, verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the spirit to, to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Amen. Amen? We cannot be made perfect in our flesh. How, how are we made perfect? Through the Spirit. By faith in Jesus and what he has done. No other way. No other way. Amen? Amen. No other way. Faith in Christ and life in the Spirit. There is no other way. We need to understand that. that, There's a lot to that. There's a lot to unpack there. Don't have time to do it all today. We have to walk in the Spirit. I believe this. I heard this watchman Nee said this. He said that the highest expression of the will of God is life in the spirit. Amen. That is truth. 
God wants us to live our lives in the spirit. If we'll do that, righteousness is our portion. When we get back to the flesh, we fall short. Life in the spirit, we taste righteousness. No other way but life in the spirit. It only comes through the spirit, and it takes great humility. If, we, if you think you're going to be made perfect in your flesh, that's your pride speaking. If you're dependent on the spirit, it shows that you are a humble person, right? It takes humility. Humility fosters gratitude, forgiveness, honesty, perseverance, self-control, optimism, kindness, success. That's the fruit of humility. In fact, we could just say, you know what? All of the fruit of the spirit comes where there's humility in the life of the believer. Right? But pride and self-righteousness, it yields bitterness, hostility. Think about, think about how hostile the apostle Paul, when he was Saul, Saul of Tarsus persecuting the church. Think about the hostility in his heart spawning from his own self-righteousness, persecuting the church of the living God, coming out of his own self-righteousness. Self-righteousness yields bitterness, hostility. It, it, it leads to self-destruction. Nothing good comes out of self-righteousness. Nothing good. Humility and grace. Life in the spirit. That's where the righteous things of God flow in our lives. So that's point number one today. Out of this text, Paul, Paul is saying, look, Put no confidence in your flesh. You know, you know where our hope is? Is that we would know Christ. In fact, he says that we might know him in the, in, the, in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering, that we would be made conformed to his death. That we would be conformed to his death, that we would know him to the point where we are conformed ultimately to his death, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, that we might be conformed to his death. The greatest thing that we can do is reckon ourselves to be dead. So the second point I want to talk to you about, and we're going to talk about dying in a minute, but right now we're going to talk about suffering. Suffering. You know why God allows suffering in our lives? So we'd come to the place where we only identify with his death. So that we would come to the place where we are conformed to his death. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences. And he screams at us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God allows pain. That, that is not in our prosperity gospel American culture a very popular idea. It's not a very popular theology. But every single book in the Bible deals with it and says that we will experience it. Every single book in the Bible. Check me on it. Go and study it. It's, it's a reality. Every single book in the Bible deals with pain and suffering. It's all throughout scripture. 
This, this book, it's, it's, it's one of the main underlying themes in this book. It talks, about, it talks about suffering. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul says, for, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's been granted. It's, God gave us a gift of being able to suffer for his sake. It's been granted unto us. That's not a negative. That's a positive. God allows us to suffer for his sake. Jesus, in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 22, says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. And then he says to all of them, If anyone of you desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So we're, we're going to build here. We're going to read through several passages here. But what we're ultimately going to see is that, that suffering brings us to the point of death, of conformity to the death of Christ, to identification with the death of Jesus Christ. When it talks about the sufferings of Christ, ultimately it's speaking of his death. That's what it's talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 we did a couple of messages on this a, a couple of months back. But the passage beginning in verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. It doesn't fit very well into the prosperity, right? When you get saved, there's going to be all kinds of money in your bank account. You'll never get sick. There'll never be a hardship. The angels will carry you around on soft, fluffy pillows. That, 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 that theology does not fit the theology of Scripture. We need to understand that. We are pressed on every side, we are, yet, yet we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but we are not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Amen. We need to understand that, that when we minister to the people, the suffering that we experience works life for them. Amen. We need to understand that. None of God's ministers are immune from suffering. We will all experience pain. We will all experience suffering. I say this all the time, but one of the greatest leadership qualities in the kingdom of God, one of the most necessary and essential Leadership qualities for believers, for us to stand and to serve in God's kingdom, is a high pain threshold. Amen. We need to be able to endure the pain. We need to be able to persevere. And we will, by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can and endure, right? We're, we're, we're pressed but not crushed. We're, we're perplexed, right? But we are not in despair. We're cast down, but we are not destroyed. We go through the sufferings, but God's grace sustains us through all of it. God's hand holds us up. Amen? More, more on suffering. Romans 8, 16 through 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. And that's where most people stop. If, indeed, we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified 
together. There is a work of glorification that happens to the body of Christ whenever we experience hardship, whenever we suffer, whatever it is. When we go through hard things, when we are suffering, when we are persecuted, we go through hardships, we are, there's a work of glorification that we are experiencing that is being worked in us. We are being glorified together with Christ. George MacDonald said this, he said, the, the Son of God suffered unto death, not that men might not suffer, but that through their sufferings they may be like him. I had to do a double take. This was a couple of years ago. I was reading in Colossians chapter one, and I, and I, I read there, he said, I, I, I partake in sufferings that I might make up for what's lacking in the suffering of Christ. When I read that, I thought, that's, that's got to be translated the wrong way. There can't be anything lacking in the suffering of Christ. As I study what Paul's saying there in the first chapter of Colossians, he's saying that, that in our ministry, we will suffer things so that the kingdom of Christ will be built. We suffer things, and it, it opens doors for us to be able to minister to people. You know, I heard a preacher say one time that he had never been laid on a, on a, on a, a bill ever in his life, and he'd never had an argument with his wife. You know what my first thought was? There's somebody I probably can't learn something from. He's not human. Our suffering allows us to minister. It's what allowed Jesus Christ. The Bible says because of the things, this is in Hebrews, because of the things that he suffered, he is able to, go to come to us in our time of need and render aid. He's able to come to us because he is touched with the filling of our infirmities. He knows every pain, every torment, every agony and anguish that we have ever experienced. And because of that, he's able to come to us in our time of need and minister to us. Those of you who have been through things, you are equipped and ready to minister to somebody who's about to go through it. Those of you who, are, who have suffered, you have been undergirded and built up and fortified through that glorification process, and you have been ready to minister to somebody who's about to go through that thing that you went through. Amen. That's the beauty of this thing. So that's, that's suffering. Let's talk for a minute about dying, just real quick, dying. None of us want to talk about it, but we've got to talk about it today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, he says, I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord that I die daily. What does that mean? And what I think is that it's like this. You wake up every morning and you reckon yourself to be dead with Christ. Do you know that you're healed? You need to reckon yourself to be healed. By his stripes, we were healed. So if there's sickness in your body, you reckon yourself by faith to be healed. Do you know you're saved? There's days when you don't act like it. You're saved until they cut you off on the highway, right? You're saved until they got your order wrong in the drive-thru. You're saved until they looked at you the wrong way, spoke to you the wrong way, crossed you. You were saved until. We all have a point where we're saved until. How many of you ever have days when you don't feel saved? Amen. You know what we have to do? Reckon ourselves to be saved. 
And likewise, we need to reckon ourselves to be dead. That old man is dead. He died with Jesus. The old Chad Hayes was nailed to the old rugged cross. I died with Christ, and so it's no longer I that live, but it is Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And that's where my righteousness comes. Not because I get, did good deeds today. It's not, it's not because I'm like, uh, you know, the, the, the Pharisee. Jesus, Jesus told a parable. I think it's in Luke chapter 19. He tells it, or 18 or 19. He tells a parable. And it says he tells it to a group of people who have put confidence in their own ability to be righteous and despised others. That's who he's talking to. Jesus is talking to a bunch of self-righteous people here who despise everybody else. And this is the parable that Jesus tells them. He said there was, there was a Pharisee and a tax collector. They went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee says, I thank you, God, that I am not like all these other men, extortioners and, 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 and dishonest and corrupt men. I thank you that I am not like them. I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector next to me who's praying. And then he says the, the tax collector wouldn't even lift his eyes up to God. And his prayer is, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said that this man would be, be counted righteous before the Pharisee ever would. That's the teaching of Jesus. So we have to reckon ourselves to be dead. I died with Christ. And I have risen with him into newness of life. That is the source of my life. That is the source of my righteousness. It's not based on my performance. Do I want to perform? Absolutely. We're going to, we're going to wrap up. My last section today is striving. In fact, we're going to hear a whole message next week that's wrapped up in this, this last passage of, of the third chapter where it's about striving. But listen, we are not striving to be righteous. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's our identity. That's who has, it's been imputed. It is the imputed righteousness of God. In other words, that word imputed, we don't use it in the English language. It has been applied. God's righteousness has been applied to us. It has been imputed to us. It is ours because of Christ. Amen? Amen? Yeah. We need to understand that. When we, when we understand that we live free, and we can begin to strive towards the purposes of God. That's, that's the way this third chapter wraps up. We're not going to get to the end of the chapter here today, but that, that's, and we'll hear about that next week. That's the way this chapter winds up, forgetting the things that are behind me, pressing for the pressing, striving, pressing for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. When we have a source of strength and righteousness, it's not our own, but we're drawing from the righteousness of God. We are drawing from the strength of Christ. When we have that and it's our portion, we strive towards the purposes of God, the, the, the mark that God has set for the, the high calling of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the way this thing goes. That's the way this thing goes. So we read Philippians 1.29 a minute ago about suffering, but in Philippians 1.27 it says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel so that whether I am come, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're striving. 
but it's not in our own righteousness. Let me show you how this works. Colossians chapter one, and here's the passage I referred to a minute ago. Colossians chapter one, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. That's where I said, hold on a minute, that's gotta be misinterpreted, but I read it and studied it and that is what it means. Paul is making up for what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, and, uh, of which I become a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which was uh, hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. In other words, Paul is saying that there's still suffering to do so that this mystery can be revealed in our generation. As ministers, we still have to suffer so that we could do the work that God's calling us to do. There's still suffering to be done, Paul's saying. To, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory and of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. You see, we die with Christ, we are resurrected with him into power, and now we are striving to see the purposes of God fulfilled on planet Earth. And, and, and the passage in, in, later on in chapter three, he says, I, I, I don't count myself to, ap to have apprehended, but I strive to apprehend that for which I have ap ap been apprehended. I forget the things that are behind me. I press for the prize, the mark of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. That, that's Paul's admonition to this church, model, example. Think back, chapter two, he gave the example of Jesus. He also gave the example of Timothy. He gave the, the example of Epaphroditus, and here he's showing himself an example. And you know what Paul's saying here? He's ultimately saying this, it is not about my agenda. It's not about my will. I'm pursuing the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Going back to what we've been teaching, the context of this book, there were people trying to advance another agenda. Their pride had risen up, and he's saying, hold on a second, die. Put your agenda down. Let's strive together for the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's what it's about. That's what this, this whole book written to encourage a people in conflict, people who are striving against each other. Let's stop striving against, let's begin to be like-minded and strive together. And we gotta remember there's only one purpose, it's the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Every one of us in this room deal with self-righteousness. It stinks in you and it stinks in me. When I get lifted up in myself and my ability, 
We're going to do it my way. I know, I know what's right. When, whenever I get that, and, and, and we have to be careful that we don't get back down. Listen, we, get, we have to be bold. We have to lead well. We have to make decisions. But it, it, we have to do it with humility, and we can't get lifted up. We start getting lifting up my, my way or the highway mentalities. What happens? Conflict. Striving. That's why God, like, like golf, allows things to go wrong in our lives. Because it keeps, it hum- keeps us humble. If we will remember that we are just dead men, I preached a message early on in this series. I think it was in the first two verses of of chapter one, and I talked about how as as slaves, Paul identifies as a slave. As slaves, we have given up our rights. Problem with Christians in American culture is they're so worried about their rights. And the reality in the kingdom, we give up all of our rights. We are slaves to Christ, and in that there is ultimate liberty. When we live to the will of God, we have freedom. When we live to our own selfish ambition, ego, desires, agendas, torture and torment. There is a way of God and it is right, the old timers say. I heard that saying from Wells, there is a way of God and it is right. His ways are better than our ways. We need to learn to walk in his ways. And surrender. That's what that prayer is. Your kingdom come and your will be done. No longer my will, but his will. That's what that scripture is about. Let's stand together. I want to give an altar call like I did last week. Listen, there, there is no other way to be made right in the sight of God but by faith. By grace through faith, and it is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. It is a gift. It is not an accomplishment to be achieved, it is a gift to be received. It's the free gift of God. Have you received that free gift? Jesus came. We have to acknowledge every one of us are sinners. Every one of us are unrighteous. Every one of us needs a savior. Jesus came and he lived a life without sin. The Bible says that the wages, and these are spiritual laws, whether you like them or not, this is the reality. The wages of sin are death. Because of sin, we are worthy. There is a death sentence over our life. But God sent his son died on a cross he died in our stead God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him whoever would put their trust and confidence in him not in themselves not in their flesh but in Jesus should not perish but have everlasting life if you've not put your hope in Jesus I would love for you to walk this I would love to pray with you I would love to help you to understand what it means to be a Christian and to follow after Jesus. That's you, I'm gonna give you just a minute. I would love for you to respond because I'd love for you to be born again today. I'd love for you to start a walk in a relationship with our God. I'll give you just a minute.